Hi everyone, uh, thank you for joining our show podcast uh, Tech Talk, where we talk about various technology-related topics. Uh, today is a special sh uh, special episode because we have a very special um, uh, guest with us today, Eben. Uh, he is the co-founder of Raspberry Pi, and uh, anyone who is uh, related to technology in any way would know about Raspberry Pi. is a revolutionary <laughs> product. Uh, I have one, Amit has one, and we. Uh, both use it for various purposes and uh, really grateful to Evan in here so, uh, for for making this a reality. Uh, thank you uh, for joining us, Evan. Uh, very pleased that you're here today with us. We are just going to uh, pick your brains on various aspects of Raspberry Pi. We're very interested to know how it all started and the overall journey that you've 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 gone through, and you know potentially the future plans that you have to make it into even even more awesome than it already is. So uh, yeah, um, I'm just going to start with uh, you know, give us a little bit of background about Raspberry Pi. When was when when did Raspberry Pi started? What was your role in 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 founding it? Um, well, Raspberry Pi is about as an idea is about 15 years old. Um, it, it comes out of really uh, kind of I guess two strands of work. One is one's building cheap computers. I've always liked building. I've always liked building. I'm a software engineer, um, but when I started doing hardware stuff, the thing I was interested in was building affordable um, computer hardware. So I've been building. Um, I built the first thing you could call a Raspberry Pi back in about 2006. I was built on a microcontroller platform, um, and it was a kind of a cute little toy you could build in an afternoon out of the same sort of microcontrollers that you use in an Arduino, for example. Um, so I did that back in 2006, um, and then that kind of strand of work, I guess, collided with um, this concern that we had that there aren't enough young people who are interested in computers anymore. There aren't enough young people who are interested in learning to program. Um, and really, these kind of these two things came together in about 2008, as our numbers of I'm based in Cambridge in the UK, and the number of people um, applying to uh, study computer science was declining. Um, year -round. Um, and we were very concerned that we wouldn't have enough. Eventually, we get to a point where we didn't have enough students um, to keep the to maintain the viability of computer science as a subject at Cambridge. Wow. Um, and so there was these kind of there was that concern, and so then then there was this interest in building hardware. And so what I was asking myself was, well, if I could build a piece of affordable hardware, get it into the hands of children, maybe they'd become more interested in computing, and then they would apply to study computer science. And that's really where the idea of so by, by two thousand eight, uh, I and a group of my colleagues at the university, um, we were thinking about. Yeah, we'd really started to think about Raspberry Pi in fairly recognizably modern terms as a as a not um, that would create computer hardware to get young people excited about computers. So uh, then, um, I mean, the name, I think Raspberry Pi, everyone is, uh, I mean, always, uh, it's it's a pie. Is it is it a pie? Is it the mathematical symbol? Uh, why Raspberry? Why not Blueberry? So why why the name? Um, well, well, so it's a two part name. Um, and there's these wonderful, you know, I think, I think early on, there some 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 people in Cambridge, fairly influential people in the Cambridge Tech community, who thought we'd had a great idea and we'd spoiled it by giving it a stupid name. <laughs> um, and and it, but it's, the stupid name is a two-part stupid name. Um, Raspberry is fruit-named computer companies. There's a lot of fruit-named computer companies. So we had apricot and tangerine and acorn, of course, which is technically a fruit. Um, uh, you know, and uh, there, I think there's another big fruit-named computer company out there somewhere as well. Um, <laughs> Apple. And, yeah, I'd be one of them. Yeah. Um, and um, we, um, 
And so, yeah, I mean, there aren't actually that many fruits left. Blueberry actually was the other one that we thought about. Raspberry is funny because, of course, raspberry blowing a raspberry is is uh, like uh, pfft, yeah. that, uh, and that was a that was a thing. Um, because so so there's a, there's a, a thing with kids where um, so Roald Dahl, the, the children's author, had this idea that the, the funny funny one of the, the funniest funny thing that happens for children is if an adult farts. Um, and, and the funniest thing that could ever happen would be if the queen were to fart. Um, and and so so we sort of thought it would be funny to to, to have Raspberry as the name of our computer company. Uh, and then Pi is Python. We're big believers in Python as a programming language. I grew up with BBC Basic, which is you know kind of a lot of people of my generation are Basic kids. And really, Python kind of takes that sort of approachability that Basic has, but adds a layer of rigor, adds a layer of structure to the to the top of it. Um, kind of raises the ceiling. The thing with Basic is there's always going to be a, a point you get to with Basic where you can't really you need to stop and use a real programming language um where with python you know python really is a real programming language but it's still a programming language where the hello world program in python is print hello world just like it is in basic so you can kind of go to a kid and say hey um uh, you know start programming in this language but you know all like the big engineers real engineers at google they all use this language as well you know there is no top rung to this ladder um so pi is python is pi not py because we thought the Pi logo, the, the 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 Pi letter would make a great logo, and we didn't use that in the end. We have a picture of a raspberry, but we, we thought it would be. so. That's that's where our name came from. And it's a stupid name, um, but it's a great name, I think. It is a memorable it's name. Uh, it's memorable. It's it's and nobody, nothing else is called raspberry pi. It's very exactly. Easy. Nothing else is called raspberry. I, I was reading about the history uh, behind BBC Micro, and as I, I was reading some other tech uh, news uh, related to your founding the company um, and and the project itself. And uh, you mentioned that uh, MIT was about to launch a project. Uh, something similar and that actually prompted you to uh, like uh, do something and launch a British project. Yeah. Yeah. And then nothing happened. The MIT thing was not a real thing. It turned, I think they were going to make an Apple II or something. Okay. Uh, some idea to make a to make an Apple II. And obviously with the BBC Micro in the UK, the idea was, well, we should do a, a BBC Micro. But I mean, the, the devices, even the very earliest devices were much more powerful. Um, than a BBC Micro. Yeah, so, so so yeah, that MIT thing, yeah, I remember that. I mean, it was extremely valuable, right? Because it, it got us off our seats, got us off our backsides and made us try and build something. But by the time we got anywhere near having a real product, the MIT thing wasn't a thing anymore. Okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, um, um, so I'm 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 really cu I'm curious to know because obviously I've used Raspberry Pi to mine cryptocurrency, uh, but when I go on YouTube, I see many many people doing many many projects. But mu it must be that you s you get to see a lot of cool projects. What are some of the coolest projects that people have done with using Raspberry Pi? Projects with Raspberry Pi. I love the robotics ones. There's a whole world of robotics. Yes. Pi. There's a thing called Pi Wars, um, uh, which run by um, Tim Richardson and Mike Horn in, in Cambridge in the UK, where people come from all over the world and they make to race against each other and fight with each other, um, uh, like a little robot wars kind of thing. Um, so, so I love the robotic stuff uh, on the hobbyist side. Um, on the sort of more, more kind of business oriented side, you get a lot of people using Raspberry Pis as alternate PCs. Um, I guess either, particularly Raspberry Pi 4, which really has kind of a PC-like level of performance. You see a lot of that. And that's really, that's super exciting. And it's been super exciting during the pandemic when obviously people have needed, um, uh, have often needed to get computers at low cost and short notice. Uh, and of course, we've had we've had hardware to do that with. Um, so that's been a that's been a good that's been a good experience. Um, over half of Raspberry Pis now are sold into industrial and commercial applications. So you see people automating factories with them. You see people building products 
products around them. You know, so you've seen, oh, right. yeah, you mentioned cryptocurrency mining. Obviously, it's a big, you know, it turns out to be while um, the, uh, yeah, I think most cryptocurrencies, I guess, have moved on from CPU or even now GPU based mining. Um, it is a great host for USB devices. I know that, you know, for Bitcoin mining, um, uh, um, you, 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 you tend to do it with ASICs, with USB attached ASICs now, but you do need yeah. something to plug the USB ASIC into. Uh, and Raspberry is one of the most cost effective um, and energy efficient. I mean, obviously, there are a lot of challenges with energy efficiency around cryptocurrency mining. Um, but at least if you're using a Raspberry Pi, it means that your host PC isn't sat there eating 100 watt, you know. Um, so that's that, that's nice. So yeah, very, I mean, the interesting thing really for me is how I don't know all the things that are happening with Raspberry Pi. There was a period when I did early on. And the, so the interesting thing is every day I meet a new application of Raspberry Pi that might have been going on for five years uh, and that I've never heard of before. So that's quite an exciting position to be in. Right, yeah. I mean, to be honest, when I was doing my uh, university postgraduate degree, I, um, I did a autonomous electric vehicle um, uh, with Arduino and... Uh, yeah, it was it was um, trying to avoid obstruction and then map the whole area, and it was a really cool, fun project. And I used Raspberry Pi do it to do it. So yeah, there is the, it, it, it's just amazing that um, how uh, sort of flexible it is, how uh, compatible it can be for any projects, and uh, you know you can create so many things uh, with it. It it just uh, enables it. It doesn't restrict your project. Sure. It's a piece of glue, a piece of Lego. It's the thing that, that sticks other things together. Um, it's, it's the thing that sticks together the physical world and the networked world and the computing world. Um, and I don't think we appreciated that would be its effect early on. Um, but people love general purpose compute. You know, we were a general purpose compute company. We make the, obviously the third most popular general purpose computer ever um, after the PC and the Mac. Um, it's more popular than any of these, so the 8-bit architectures or the older architectures. Um, and people love low-cost, energy-efficient general-purpose computers. So it's, it's, a fun, it's a fun place to be. It's a fun space to play in. So uh, at the outset, uh, Abed, uh, you try to make sure that kids learn um, how to code because you thought of it as a big problem. Why do you think uh, that was the case um, in the UK? Um, and uh, do you think that it, that problem has been solved now, uh, thanks to Raspberry Pi? Um, I uh, I think I think it's it's probably easier to to ask why why there was a period when it wasn't a problem. You know what was going right before, uh, and of course that's the home computer revolution. So our idea really was, and I think I think that it's been borne out. Um, it's still a hypothesis, really, but I think we're we're close to proving it. Was that the the existence of programmable home computers in the 1980s incubated a generation of enthusiasts of young people? Uh, you know, not just children, but you know, um, a lot of children who were excited about computers. Um, and then those machines went away, and then the, st the students went away. So do I think the problem solved? If you look at Cambridge's application numbers, we had more applicants to computer science last year than we've ever had. So more than we had in 1999, at the height of the dot-com boom, we had, I think, uh, two or three times as many as we had in the late 90s. So that's great, right? So I think, you know, but it's not just us, right? That's us and a bunch of other organizations all trying to solve the same problem. A couple of them, uh, Code Club and Coda Dojo, big networks of after-school clubs. Um, we actually merged the foundation with those organizations. So while well, you have these other brands that are, they're separate brands, but they're actually part of our organization. So, but then there were also organizations doing great work that aren't 
part of the Raspberry Pi Foundation. So, but you know, I think we've we've been an important part of this um, coalition. So, I think the problem is a, is a bit solved. I think you can never really solve it because you always find new things you want to solve. So, you know, do we have the right proportion of uh, women? Do we have the right proportion of? Um, people from different ethnic minorities? Do we have the right proportion of people from different social backgrounds? You know, one of the wonderful things about computing is hobbyist computing and and, and the games industry in particular, actually, is it offers people with untraditional, with non, non-traditional, unconventional educational backgrounds a route into white collar employment. So you don't need to go to university to be a good computer programmer. Um, I, I'd always advocate that people should get a Probably a degree level qualification at some point in their lives is a good idea, but you don't have to kind of be great at school and then go to university when you're 18 uh, and then do three years of computer science and then become a computer programmer. You can become a computer programmer when you're 14 years old. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, and yeah, maybe when, by the time you're 25, you might be thinking, wow, yeah, I mean, and I had this actually. I, I went to Cambridge and studied physics and then I started my first computer company, my first startup. And I became aware that the people I was hiring had a bunch of, I could program a computer, um, but I was aware that the people I was hiring had some other skills that I didn't have. And so I went back to university for a year um, to, to study specifically computer science uh, in order to rectify some of these gaps. Uh, in my knowledge, so you know, uh, you know, if you've gone to, if you've started as an eighteen-year-old in a in a in a, uh, an apprentice engineering role, you're probably going to want a degree at some point. But it, so so you know, computing is exciting because it gives those people um, a route into a, a profitable, enjoyable um, uh, career. So so you see, so there's always this question of like, are you solving it? Are you are you making life easier for people who look like me? My father's an English professor, right? So you're making life easier for people who look like me. Um, uh, and that's fine, but life's already pretty easy for people who look like me. Um, so, um, so, so, you know, the gender thing is the most obvious one. Well, you know, there is a shortage of, there's a shortage of women in engineering. Um, it's getting simultaneously better and worse, depending how you measure it. Um, and so there's always work to do. And then, of course, you know, you've solved the problem for Cambridge. Do you want to solve the problem for Imperial College? Do you want to solve the problem for um, for all universities in the UK? Do you want to solve for, for all universities in Europe, for all universities in the world? Um, you know, so there's always whatever you do, there's there's always more stuff. Um, but we've, we've we've had a good go. We've we've made some good progress. Yes, absolutely. I mean, in, in a lot of cases, these are measurable progresses that was made, and uh, it is it is something to be proud of, definitely. And no, you're right. I mean, there is a lot more work to do in in many aspects of. of of the social structure but um, yeah no we just have to carry on and uh, keep going but yeah I mean uh, in terms of you know making making computing more accessible to all kinds of people you know all kind all, all different uh, people from different backgrounds it's really important and one of the things that I feel like we should be doing is um, in various organizations we always have the IT department or you know we, we, we whenever and even during the education system IT or computing is a, like a subject that you choose whereas you know some some of the common subjects are taught from very early stage in elementary school or high school um, IT or computing should be one of those basic subjects in, in, in life that you need to actually know to, to sort of just navigate in, in life. And uh, that's probably one of the things that would make this uh, journey a little bit yeah. more advanced. It's a, fascinating, I mean, it's a fascinating question, right? Which is, yeah, where do you put um, computing in, in the hierarchy 
of things you learn? Do you do you put it alongside science? Um, or do you put it alongside maths? You know, do you put it yes. you know, yeah, alongside maths and reading? Is it, it how foundational is it? Um, and I mean, I'm I'm inclined to think. I mean, obviously, every subject will bid to be a foundational subject, a mandatory foundational <laughs> subject. I think there's a strong argument for some aspects of it being foundational. Um, the I mean, it's slightly foundational in the sense that maths and computer science overlap a lot, um, and you can kind of there's an argument that the way I'm mean, Conrad Wolfram um, makes this argument very powerfully. He's got a book, The Maths Fix. Um, out last year, and he makes makes this argument very compellingly, which is that a lot of the ways we do maths are pre-computational, and therefore, you know, if you teach someone how to do long multiplication, how useful is that in a world right. of calculators and spreadsheets, right? Yes. Uh, and you can you have to if you want to justify teaching someone long multiplication when there's a computer that will do it for you, you kind of have to somehow argue that it teaches you something important about what multiplication is. Yes. Uh, the, the process of learning a hand mechanism for, for doing multiplication teaches you something about multiplication. Uh, and, and I think Conrad's very unconvinced, very unpersuaded um, that, that this is the case. So there's, there's, you can sort of make an argument for moving some of the maths time in your in your classical meeting, I think you can also make make some sort of argument about civics as well. You can make some sort of argument about moving critical thinking um, into yes. computational thinking. And, and there is a the thing about computer programs is they they work or they don't work. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they you know of course you can't prove whether they are going to work, but um, you know the you know they work or they don't. Work. It's a very binary world, and, and you 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 have to think clearly. And they, the computers are stupid, right? They only do what you tell them to do. Yeah. And if you tell them to do the wrong thing, they'll merrily and at a billion cycles per second do the wrong thing. Yeah. Um, and and so you have to think very clearly about what it is you want to do. And I think there are many circumstances at the moment in which, outside of computing, where perhaps people need to be taught how to think analytically. Yeah, and Analytically, you know, analytical thinking, critical thinking, and I, 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 I think that computing is uh, engineering actually, and, and, but computing because computing is a it's a quite an accessible branch of engineering, um, is a good life skill because it strips away the illusions. <laughs> you know, you can't. Yes. You know, if you if you have illusions, then your program crashes or your bridge falls down. Um, so yeah, so so I think it's foundational. I think you've got to be careful because, of course, as I say, everyone will bid for foundational status. But <laughs> I think there are aspects of it, maybe not the detail, but some of the high-level stuff which are foundational and should be taught to everybody. Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, I would passionately argue that it is foundational. At least some aspects of it, you, you can at least start the education from the from from quite early stage because the way. Computing is now integrated within within every every stage in you know every, everything that you do in life. Um, you know there is something you are definitely sub being subjected to computing either by be having to use it or whatever you're using. The background of of that product or service uh, has computing in it. So uh, absolutely, I I think the analytical thinking and uh, all the other benefits that comes with this this computing education is is actually quite foundational i i wanted to ask i mean we talked about raspberry pi bbc micro and arduino and arduino was launched way before um so did arduino actually inspire or the thinking because you mentioned that the first raspberry pi was based on a microcontroller version so was Arduino uh, responsible for motivating what you were doing? I don't think it was early on. I think we, we developed kind of independently of Arduino. Um, the 
Where it was motivational was once we started thinking, once we started making some progress towards launch, it was very encouraging to us to see the engagement that young people had with Arduino as a platform. Um, because we, we'd been kind of on our own, kind of uh, plowing our own lonely furrow. And then I went to a Maker Fair. I mean, for me, I remember going to a Maker Fair in New York in uh, the autumn of 2011 um, to demo an early Raspberry Pi. And we had a kid, it was a kid, uh, there who had a um, had, had a doll's house that he had automated using Arduino. And I was 11 years old or something. Yeah. And I remember thinking, well, you know, that's quite a hard platform to program. You know, you program an Arduino, an original Arduino in C. Um, wow. And the kid had been programming in, you know, I mean, it's a sort of stylized dialect of C, but it's still C. Um, and this kid had made incredible progress. And I was like, ooh. Okay, you know, there is a future for the, you know, there is, because it's been, you know, we, if we make our hardware, maybe kids won't care. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that was probably one of my, so so a lot of my early engage, engagements with involvement with Arduino were kind of around getting some of these proof points that young people, even with a platform which is a, a proper full-on embedded system like, like an Arduino, um, children will engage with it if it allows them to do things that they find meaningful. And uh, I mean, when we look at microcontrollers and then the general purpose computer, um, I mean, to build a Raspberry Pi, you have to first uh, start on the design board, like what should go there. So do you have a, like a process, like what should be there in the Raspberry Pi and what should not be? How much processor sh should we add, RAM, ports? Because I think those are, <laughs> those are kind of important, right? From a, from a um, I don't know, feature point of view for the users or customers that you're trying to target. Yeah, how, right. how yeah. do you decide the limit? Because <laughs> obviously uh, in, in- Yeah, that's in, it. You know, engineering is only interesting if there are limits, right? Um, and of course, the ultimate limit for us is cost. Um, ah. And so, so you can see to some extent, you know, look at a 2012 Raspberry Pi and a current Raspberry Pi, literally the only feature, the only feature, the only qualitative change um, is wireless, which we added in 2016. So with the last time we added an actual honest to God new feature to a Raspberry Pi was five years ago. Now we we make the features better. We put more RAM, faster wireless, um, faster USB, faster Ethernet, faster processors, more graphics capacity, higher resolution screens, more screens. Um, but those are all quantitative things. Those are all just turning taking existing feature set and turning the dial up. Um, uh, so so a couple of things. One, how do we decide what to put in? Well, basically we only put in things which are going to be useful to all of our users. Um, wireless is the only non-core, non-original feature um, that ever made that cut. So nothing else ever does, right? So there's no AI acceleration. There's no, you know, yeah, there's no dedicated AI accelerator. There's no secure crypto enclave. There's no analog to digital converter. There's no real-time clock. Um, you know, all of these things. That you can get all of those things for Raspberry Pi, but they are accessories to Raspberry Pi. They're not in the core product. And the reason for that is that you don't want to tax every Raspberry Pi. If you have something that 10% of people want, you don't tax everybody to pay for a thing that only 10% of people want. You you can see it as dividing through by the fraction who want it. So if I have a, a 50 cent feature that 10% of people want, I'll put it on the board, but I'll think about it as a $5 feature. I'll divide through by a 10th. Um, and, and so you, so the only features like white wireless, which are relatively affordable to add and which everybody wants, make the cut. So that's the kind of what features. Um, in terms of how far do we turn the dial, we just turn the dial as far as we can um, every time, subject to staying within $35 for our 
baseline product. Occasionally, we aren't able to do things we wanted to do when we launched Raspberry Pi 4. The, our $35 product was a one gig product. And I, yes. Fine, but one gigabyte of RAM really sells. You know, Raspberry Pi 4 is awesomely powerful. Uh, and one gigabyte of RAM really sells that power short. Uh, and so what was exciting for us, we knew RAM prices were coming down, but they weren't didn't get to where we needed them, them to be in time. The great thing for us was about nine months into the project, we were then able to bring the two gigabyte product down from $45 down to $35. And the nice thing about that was that happened just in time for the pandemic. Um, the two gig product is the one that's the, the, the lowest memory variant that's really usable as a full featured home PC. Um, we were able to bring that to an attractive price point just in time for the uh, for, for everyone to need home computers so that was a good that was a good app. so uh, i mean you you talk you talk about cost a lot and i think it's a, it's a very important factor to consider especially entry to um uh, computing i mean people who want to learn especially people from asian market african american where they can't actually afford a very expensive computer so how do you actually try to keep the cost low on a raspberry pi <laughs> well, we don't put too many features in. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's all things I just mentioned help. Um, the other the other, other obvious ones, one Moore's Law still has just about has some legs in it. So you do still get a little bit more performance. You know, we've gone from 256 meg to 2 gig of RAM in the $35 variant in nine years. You know, well, that was eight years. Uh, yeah, that was eight years. Um, so that was quite good. That was quite good. Um so, so you get some benefit out of Moore's Law. The other thing, of course, is we invest an enormous amount of money in um, manufacturing technology. So it's okay. a very highly automated manufacturing process. You know, we do not have many people involved in making Raspberry Pi. So that's important. Um, we, we work with suppliers to make sure we get exactly the chips we need exactly the silicon we need exactly the connectors we want you know exactly the pcb technology we want so there's a lot of effort goes into making sure that everything just works um so that everything is just as it should be um and we don't end up having to throw dollars of silicon at patching things we forgot so we made a lot of raspberry pies um and so that means that a we have a lot of manufacturing experience take some cost out b we have a lot of experience as to what needs to be in these devices and that means we can spec chips very accurately um and avoid um uh, sort of ex extra components on the board uh, you look at a raspberry pi 4 it's a very simple product <laughs> doesn't it is right it's got a power supply it's got a um, soc main processor it's got memory it's got a usb chip it's got a gigabit gigabit ethernet chip so it's got basically five pieces of silicon um on there um and they're supporting passes and then a bunch of connectors so it's a very cost optimized um efficiency optimized design uh, and that's what we always do we talk about the bbc micro actually a dirty, a dirty secret of raspberry pi this sort of dirty realization of raspberry pi we have a lot more in common with the sinclair spectrum great the other great computer uh, the other great cambridge-based computer of the 1980s that was a cost optimized design we we're a cost optimized design uh, uh, but because we have um where I think the Spectrum was a compromised design because of its cost focus. Over time, what we've been able to do is, is exercise so much control over the silicon that goes into the Raspberry Pi that we've been able to get all of the um, the benefits of Sinclair-like cost optimization with a kind of BBC Micro-like feature set. But certainly the philosophy, the organizational philosophy is very Sinclair, actually. Okay. And then uh, what about the Raspberry Pi OS? I mean, how does that fit into the overall cost? Because that's a separate from the hardware. I mean, I think the foundation focuses 
focuses on the hardware side but what about the software side who actually pays for it the development the maintenance and the features we do you um, do okay we do so this is a debian derived operating system for a variety of reasons we don't use the debian at least for our 32-bit world we don't use the debian repository system we have a rebuilder champ called uh, peter green um rebuilds the debian world in a way which is compatible with the chip that we use on raspberry pi one and raspberry pi zero um okay uh so that's a so we we, we benefit enormously from debian's investment in developing a a, a well-maintained well thought out well-maintained um linux user land um we um obviously benefit from the kernel all the investments that everyone's make, makes in the kernel um and then we take the kernel and our downstream patches we take debian as rebuilt by the raspbian project and our own additional packages our own user interface customizations and we assemble those together to make a raspberry pi os image uh, currently a 32-bit image with a 64-bit testing image one of the big things that will happen to us over the next year or so is we're likely to turn up the focus on 64-bit um and turn down the fit um yeah we need to move to the, the to the glory we've been shipping raspberry pi 3 was our first 64-bit product back in 2016 uh, we still ship a 32-bit user land um well we had one gig of memory on the platform which we did until 2019 that made a lot of sense. I think increasingly to get the performance out of these higher end platforms that we ship now, we really do need to go 64-bit. Amazing. I mean, that is that is a lot of information to be honest. I don't know if I'll remember all of that, but you've, you've obviously grown with it. So you know exactly the journey you have taken, etc. You've mentioned AI a bit ago. So I'm, I'm just thinking um, how, do you have like a add-on uh, with, with Raspberry Pi? You know, is, is there like a something that you add on that does like enables, sorry? We don't, but other, we don't, but other people do. And this is really the story of Raspberry Pi, um, that accessory vendors grow up around a platform. Ah, yes. And there are a lot of those accessory vendors who are very small or started very small and have become big, uh, you know, mom and pop companies that have had some successful successful accessories and have reinvested. Um, cases were a very early one. People made plastic cases. Oh, yes. And people kind of invest and, 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 and um, kind of climb the tree and make progressively more complicated accessories or progressively better designed accessories. Um, in the case of AI, actually, the little um, company that, that – that does most in this area is a um, company out of California called Google. Uh, you may have met them. Um, they have a program called Coral um, uh, that makes uh, AI acceleration hardware based on their in-house TPU designs. Um, and you can get a USB 3 dongle that you can attach to a Raspberry Pi um, and um, uh, particularly Raspberry Pi 4, which has USB 3, um, and get really nice uh, energy-efficient Acceleration. Of course, you can run a lot of machine learning stuff on the Raspberry Pi itself. It's actually very, very powerful. You know, with quad core A72 at a gig and a half. Um, that's an enormous amount of general purpose compute. I guess where these accelerators are helpful, they do give you more total compute if you want it. Um, but the really the big benefit they have is they give you lower latency um, and they tend to give you better uh, power consumption um, numbers. Your energy per operation is much lower if you're running on dedicated hardware. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, when we say ASIC nowadays, it's very much intertwined with cryptocurrency but ASIC is application specific by 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 its name so there could be many application specific um, you know many different applications and many different ASICs for different uh, different purposes and one of the ideas I had actually is to have um, different ASICs which would do different AI algorithms like artificial neural network there would be an, there could be an ASIC which does just does that kind of calculation or genetic algorithm could be another one um, 
but I don't actually know whether whether these kind of ASICs exist already. But I just thought that that would be a very cool add-on to to have. But I haven't actually found any. So Coral, if you just Google Coral, um, you'll right. see that and that's a that's a it's a, a neural network accelerator. I guess a convolution accelerator. You know, most of these things are convolution accelerators. They do dot. Um, and obviously Google have an advantage because a lot of the basic research that in this area comes out of Google. Um, and so they're able to design their hardware to support the what they think the future holds for. Uh, for, for neural networks, so that's in, in, in terms of the, the layer structures and activation functions and other, other bits and pieces um, that, that, that you know, people are always eking this stuff out. And people do it initially always in the context <laughs> of GPUs. They do it, do it in the context of GPUs because they're programmable. But then once things stabilize, as you know, Bitcoin example is a really good one. Um, once once things stabilize and become a, a fixed target, then they're very um, vulnerable, very amenable um, to ASIC acceleration. And ASICs is great. I mean, I should everyone should make ASICs. I make ASICs. I like making ASICs. I've been, been, although I'm a software engineer, I actually end up being a silicon engineer for a long time. Kind of <laughs> I'm a silicon engineer. Uh, I love making chips. Um, and I think everyone else should do it as well. So, uh, I mean, before you started Raspberry Pi, were there actually any inspirations or role models or mentors for you to actually, um, I mean, help with the Raspberry Pi project? Um, not the Raspberry Pi project, really. I mean, that was fairly standalone. Um, I mean, obviously, we all have mentors who've helped us through our careers, you know, um, and, and obviously, I have, have a fair few of those from childhood, I guess, childhood onwards. Um, uh, I mean, I've always always found business interesting. Actually, I've always always kind of been drawn, I think, to what to to um, to the business aspect of computing as much as the technical aspect. I started my first company when I was 21, 21, 20. Um, IdeaWorks 3D, right? That's the one. Yeah, that's the one. Yes. Well, I think they're almost. I think they're just about still in business, actually. Um, so, and that was always very satisfying because I left that company after about three years. Um, and but what was really satisfying about it was there was a real sense that interesting. They were doing. They, they were doing work and they were creating employment. And long after I left, they had 50 to bear, earning good salaries, paying their mortgages, you know, paying tax. Um, and it was very satisfying. I'd get up every morning and, uh, and you know, not every morning, once every six months, you got to get, get up and go on the web and look and see what IdeaWorks have been doing. Um, and that was, that was, that was very, um, that was very exciting. I think they're still around. Um, so there's, so I've always enjoyed, I've always, I've always enjoyed doing basic technology and deep technology. Um, but I've always enjoyed as much the businesses you can build, uh, around it. Um, uh, yeah. Um, and of course ours is a wonderful industry for that, right? I mean, there's yes. a lot of people who, who did basic, there's a lot of, I mean, obviously Bill Gates has been in the news, uh, the last couple of days, kind of sadly. Um, but um you know that's somebody who was a kid right you know he was in at the start he's 60 um this is a guy who was in right at the start you know this 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 letter that you know he wrote to, to paul i was an email but of course letter that he wrote to paul allen saying it's you know it's starting the thing we talked about and we're going to miss it um uh, and so so you have people who did foundational really interesting foundational work you know writing basic for the altair 8800 um and then built businesses big businesses good businesses uh, on top of it so there's no shortage of role models in our industry. Absolutely, absolutely. And then, um, I mean, when we look at, sorry? I said to my wife the other day about Gates, I'm like, you know, he gave up running Microsoft when he was about my age. Yes. Like, How did he do that? 
I'm in Microsoft. And she's like, I oh, know everyone's like you. I'm like, yeah, but it's Microsoft. I'm from Microsoft now, you know? And, you know, and it's, it's, it's a, a much less, I mean, it's, it's a fine organization, but I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's much less interesting than Microsoft was in at the point where Gates stopped running it. Um, and, um, uh, you know, how did he do that? Yes. How would how would you go? I'm running Microsoft, and then tomorrow I won't be running. Well, that would be insane, right? <laughs> um, you know, so I, I have enormous respect. I have enormous respect for someone who can do that sort of thing, and then walk away, and then go and do something else, which is, of course, what he did. But it's interesting. People I think it uh, comes down to those uh, problem-solving skills that he was trying to solve some problem when he was young. And um, when he had enough money, then he was trying to solve other problems in the world that he could not ignore anymore, which he felt, I think, was the right thing to do. So an article today said 6 million people, 400 million vaccinations, their biggest, the Gates Foundation's biggest vaccination. Uh, yes. 400 million vaccinations, 6 million deaths present, prevented. And okay, you know, that is probably more interesting than writing an operating system or... <laughs> Still, you think six million people, it's like the population of Central. Uh, yes, exactly. It's incredible, isn't it? And uh, I mean, uh, coming back to Raspberry Pi, I mean, we keep talking about GPIO, the general purpose uh, input output uh, pins, which have actually made Raspberry Pi the, uh, the reason for its real success. So, was it actually originally planned to be put in? Or because you talked about microcontrollers, you talked about building a small uh, compute, $35 computer, and uh, then you have those pins. So, how did those pins come in the project? It's because I didn't design the PCB, so I couldn't veto them. Um, the um, uh, PP Lomas designed Raspberry Pi, one of my co-founders uh, designed Raspberry Pi 1, and he said, well, look, we have all these GPIOs on the chip. Um, we should bring them out to a header. And I said, well, that's ridiculous. Nobody's going to want to do that. Um, we should, this is a computer. This is for writing software on you, because I'm a software engineer, right? um, and, and Pete's an electrical engineer. Um, and so he said, we should bring them out to a connector. And I'm like, right, you're designing the PCB, you do whatever the hell you want. And, and he did. And of course, it's the backbone of our success. So just don't listen to me. Said, yeah, because, uh, I mean, you can connect so many things with uh, the input output pins and it's, uh, it's just crazy. Yeah, it's fine. I am, I'm aware of my, I'm aware of it. <laughs> yeah. So it's the thing, right? Don't listen to me. Um, it's always a, it's, I mean, it's a challenge as you, as you, when you run an organization like this, that has very, very many, very talented, um, smart people in it. Um, it, how often you you want to demand that people just listen to you, um, and and the answer is almost always never. <laughs> um, but you, I mean, you, you, you it's it's I, something I find in terms of my personal journey, something I find very difficult, right? Because the answer isn't never. Actually, if it's never, then you you're not. What are you even for? Um, so the answer is sometimes. <laughs> And that's a very different. That, it's very different. You know, always and never are very easy settings of the dial. Sometimes is a, is a funny setting in the middle of the dial. Um, and and I, I don't always get it right at all. Um, uh, but it's probably my. You think about why I keep doing this. Actually, you know, why do I keep doing this? Because um, I'm sure I could go and do something else. Probably not. Not on the Gates Foundation scale, but I could go and I go get another job. Uh, why do I keep doing it? I keep doing it because actually the setting of that dial is a fascinating. There are a number of personal growth, personal learning um, experiences that I continue to have, and I don't think I'm anywhere near getting all of the growth out of it or all of the personal satisfaction out of it. Uh, learning to adjust that particular dial um, is, is is fascinating, actually, to me. So, I mean, um, it, it, obviously, this is a very exciting project to work on anyway, but is there any other projects that you, you're also kind of side projects that you're working on or you have plans to start maybe during the I pandemic? Have two, you had small, a... I have two small children. 
So yes, I have, right. I have too many to come. I have I I have enough side projects. <laughs> of course. And are they learning Raspberry Pi? Uh, not yet. No, neither of them. But they, I'm sure. I hope they will one day. But I have a, I have a four year old and a one year old. So I have uh, okay. Daughter who was four two weeks ago, and I have a, a son who is currently zero and will be one on Friday. Um, and a lockdown baby. Um, so um, yeah, that yeah. won't give you any more time for any other projects, and uh, you know, meaningfully so. I mean, you you, you know, you probably would want to spend these times. I do a little. I do a little retro computer programming sometimes. I do less, even less of that than I should do. But I do a little bit of. Um, there's a thing called BBC Microbot, which is always worth, which is always worth a look on Twitter. It's at, at BBC Microbot, and it's a what is, it's a it's a, it's a emulator for the BBC Micro, and you tweet it a basic program, and it runs it on the BBC Micro and sends you a video of the of of it running. Um, and that's something that I indulge, I indulge in from time to time because it, it's a very constrained problem, right? 280 characters. Um, uh, and you have to do something interesting. Um, really go and check it out. Um, okay. it's, 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 um, so, so I just have some, some little constrained retro programming is interesting always because, uh, of constraints. Uh, and that, that's kind of useful if you're very busy because it means that it limits the amount of work you can do. Um, so I've, I've, I've written occasional. I've written the occasional game for machines that I grew up with, um, and that, that's that's a lot of fun. Um, shader toy is fun as well, actually. I mean, shader toy, if you come across that, lets you write OpenGL shaders in a web browser and then look at the results, and that's another one. Uh-huh. You can do five minutes of work and get something pretty, which is always always very satisfying. Yeah, the only thing retro I do is play the retro games from 1990s mm. and uh, the ones that I grew up playing and uh, they are still still nostalgic as but still so much fun what was your what was your platform of choice when you were young so um there <laughs> i don't know if this is that it's uh, it's popular worldwide but uh, i used to play this game called uh, cadillacs and dinosaurs and um i've heard of that i don't know what it is but i've heard of it because it's a raspberry <laughs> pie it sticks in the mind you know yeah yeah there they, they would be many dinosaurs and you choose your characters and then then you beat them and go to the next levels and stuff then there was another thing called uh, king of fighters Ah yes, yes I knew that. Yes. I, I I mean I was so good at it. I mean it's a shame there was no worldwide tournaments like <laughs> online games there because I think I would have been I would have been beating everyone then. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's still fun, nostalgic and fun. I think a lot of the times um, uh, millennials uh, are actually you know a, a lot of a lot of the times they are driven to to you know go back to their childhood and a lot of products are nowadays are you know focused specifically to tap that that emotion in in millennials and uh, yeah i mean that's 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 my retro uh, projects that i sometimes do so um uh, emin um i mean we talked about raspberry pi bbc uh, micro and other things so um and general purpose computer raspberry pi third uh, sell- third most selling uh, compute platform in the world but now you have smartphones mm. tablets mm. and um, they have the same chipsets like arm they are all arm based processors mm-hmm. um so uh, the latest raspberry pi f- uh, 4 has uh, cortex a i think cortex a53 and the latest snap it's a72 in a in a, a, raspberry, a raspberry 4 is an a72 a72 okay and uh, the latest snapdragon chipsets um, shipping this year on the smartphone is cortex a78 so you're not that far off 
you 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 close but um, so how do you uh, i mean and kids are obsessed with smartphones now these days i mean parents uh, they normally indulge kids with okay go watch something on the tv or play some game on the phone etc so how do you how do you tap those those kids and bring them to raspberry pi i mean what are the kind of things that you would do, uh, need to do to attract them to this side um I, i actually think they're attracted to be attracted to it anyway so that's been the surprising realization is that you don't have to compete very much actually um, okay why did because the stuff you can do with the raspberry pi is interesting you know kids have problems and raspberry pi is a machine for solving problems so uh, you know everyone has something they want to do an art project or a, you know want to take a video of what animal is is wandering around in their garden and saying off the security light in the middle of the night you know every, everyone every kid has something they want to do and if you make a product that helps them solve that um it doesn't matter if the alternative is that they can sit in front of a television and watch a movie or sit in front of a games console and play a game it's still an interesting part of their lives so i think that's fine um i think it is important that the it's always been important to us that the platform is reasonably powerful um that it doesn't feel like a piece of retro hardware that it's you know you can if you want to watch youtube you can watch youtube on a raspberry pi you know if you want to if you want to play computer games if i've got a regret about the platform we will try and do something about this if i have a regret about the platform is that there isn't a computer games industry um around it you know with a, with 40 million units sold um there should be a computer games industry and there isn't uh, and that kind of sucks so um so that that makes me sad um because i think that would make it a more attractive platform in the same way the machines you had when you were young machines i had when i was young they were attractive in part because they had good computer games on them i think if there were yes. computer games on raspberry pi that would make it a more attractive platform to children well this is this is well, where the retro games could 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 come in handy because they they require less power absolutely um, it can be hard for us to promote them though because of course there is a there is a, always an ip concern about uh-huh, I mean I I I don't personally believe that it is a a moral concern. You know, you still think about things are legal concerns and things are moral concerns. If someone has abandoned, if someone wrote a game 30 years ago and then they abandon it and they don't do anything with the IP, it's hard to argue that it's immoral for someone. <laughs> well, to be honest, um is losing out. If it's it gets a little bit more complicated I think when you have devices like the the, the you know there are now retro consoles the mini mini NES mini SNES you know devices like that so you think well do the games on that have have some still have some residual value in them. But anyway, it just makes it hard the messaging is hard around retro games. There are of course some very generous retro game authors who have taken the positive step um to to put their products into the public domain. Um and then there are then there's sort of a middle ground of people who clearly don't care um about um their their whether their products are in the public domain or not. Um maybe people have forgotten they even wrote them. <laughs> um, uh, and then of course then there's that hard core of games that are still considered live IP um that that um that where where the the um, the, the brand holders are, are more protected. But yeah, you you're right. I mean, it is a use of the platform. Uh, and to the extent people do it responsibly, we're we're very much into it. Yes, absolutely. I think I think the one of the important things to think about is that retro games while being retro uh, and while the you know, the newer games have all these advanced 3D graphics and all, the the games from 90s and uh, early 2000s are st- were still fun. And you know, they are 
enough fun that I would still pay the, play them right now. So, you know, with without the need for all of these advanced graphics and everything, which requires a lot higher processing power, we could create new games in, you know, so it would look and feel like retro games and that are, you know, easy to play in, 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 in a device like Raspberry Pi. I mean, they're not in any way less fun. That is my point. Uh, so uh, ultimately you play games as, as, as an entertainment and it can easily be achieved uh, with with computing power in, in that is available in Raspberry Pi. Yeah, we used to. I mean, I was I was involved in the GPU design team that designed the GPU in Raspberry Pi. And of course, we used to joke while we were working very hard to design a great GPU for mobile devices. Um, that actually, what all anyone wanted to do was play Tetris. Um, <laughs> yes. You look at where's the where was the money actually going? At least at that point in mobile gaming, all the money was going to Tetris, the guys who own the Tetris brand. Um, and so, actually, all you would need to be able to do is move a few squares around the screen. And uh, uh, I mean, uh, coming back to, uh, I mean, we've covered smartphones and tablets. Now we have this Intel NUX, the next unit of computing. Um, so do you think that Raspberry Pi is actually competing with those platforms as well? Yes. Um, I mean, it's a PC, right? Yes. So it competes with anything that's a PC. This is a question from one of our listeners as well. The, you know, the, basically, you know, why is Raspberry Pi better than an NUC in which scenarios? Or... A lot lower cost and a lot lower power consumption. It's smaller, um, and it has enough compute. I think I don't know if you can still get the the atom based NUCs. Their performance is really often quite terrible, um, and so it ha doesn't. It, it you know it's not going to compete. I think you can put you can put quite a beefy Intel processor in, in an NUC, and and then of course you'll get good performance. But it's very competitive with the the, the bottom end of the of the NUC performance range, but at a fraction of the cost. Um, uh, so so you know um, I, I I bought NUCs in the past. I um, what did I buy one for? I, I wanted to send somebody a what what I've, I've used them for is when if I need a Windows environment and I want to send somebody a canned Windows environment so so I, I had to send somebody a platform they could use to debug a Raspberry Pi and the Raspberry Pi debugger runs on Windows and so what I did was bought an NUC installed Windows on it um, set it up with a Raspberry Pi to, to debug screwed down to a plank <laughs> in DHL and sent it to the person and then that removes any configuration management um, issues you know sort of here's a hundred line setup script that you have to get exactly right otherwise it doesn't work it's like this worked when it left my desk here you are plug it into a monitor plug a master keyboard into it and this works for you as well so, so that's useful you know if you want to a little canned x86 environment but I, I sort of don't particularly once we grew us once we grew gigabit ethernet and usb3 i think we sort of probably required the last few things that it made more sense other than windows um that it made that, that where the nuc made sense uh, in our space right right okay great so uh i mean we i was uh, reading your uh foundation website and there is an astropy challenge mm -hmm. and uh, nasa recently sent it over to mars so uh the pi has gone to international space station everyone knows that so is 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 the pi foundation now targeting mars as the next big well, <laughs> endeavor mail elon and i did say uh you know if you want to stick one of our one of our raspberry pies on your we're going to, we're going to do a, they had a platform called red dragon that they were going to do for a while which was an attempt to land a dragon uh, a V2 Dragon on uh, on Mars. And I did say, well, look, if you can give me 10 grams of mass budget and a USB port, um, uh, we'll give you, we'll do your, we'll do you Astro Pi on Mars, you know, your code. So you, your code in space is such a powerful brand for kids, you know, people, kids love that. And we were like, well, yeah, you know, your code on Mars, you know, that'd be kind of fun. Um, but yeah, we didn't get, I didn't hear back. I think he was busy doing something else. I don't know what. Um, but uh, yeah, anyway, I, I, 
I, I would love to see a Raspberry Pi platform, either the big Raspberry Pi or, the, or, or of course, the Raspberry Pi chip stuff, the um, the, the, the microcontroller um, that's in Raspberry Pi Pico. I'd love to see that stuff outside low Earth orbit. You know, it's only 200 miles away. It's only about as far away as Leeds. It's not um, that far away. I'd love to see something on the moon or uh, in interplanetary space or, or on Mars. So, and and uh, I mean, uh, Raspberry Pi is good when it comes to low power consumption, but what about reliability? Because when you do outer space stuff, reliability becomes a major factor. So how often do, I mean, I've used Raspberry Pis and they are not generally okay. But do you think reliability uh, is, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure about Raspberry Pis, but are is reliability a factor when it comes to going to outer space? And is Raspberry Pi quite reliable when it comes to long-term space exploration? Low Earth orbit is not a particularly high radiation environment. It is a high radiation environment than, than, than the Earth's surface, but it's not a particularly high radiation environment. You do get single event upsets. I think we've observed that the Raspberry Pi is surprisingly reliable, like very, very reliable. I, I, I'm sure we have had things that we would attribute to single event upsets in the history of the Astro Pi program, but only a handful. Um, uh, it's certainly not epidemic. One of the things, of course, is that because we tend to be very efficient platforms, um, our chips tend to be very small. <laughs> and that means their cross-section for being impacted by um, cosmic radiation is low. And so if, you, if you're kind of, it's not a it's not a correct model, but if your model of um, uh, when does your system crash in a high radiation environment is as soon as you get hit by anything, you crash. If you're smaller, you get hit less, so you crash less. Um, uh, and certainly Raspberry Pi 1, which is what's on the station at the moment, it has a 30 square millimeter chip in there, not all of which needs to be working. Um, so it probably has about 10 square millimeters of of target, um, of, uh, of area that you really don't want to hit with a high energy particle, plus the RAM, which is probably another few tens of millimeters. So it's not, it's very small compared to the crew station laptops, which have big big Intel cores in and large amounts of RAM and stuff. Um, it, it's, it's not, it, it, so there are no specific radiation hardening features to the platform, but it turns out that smallness actually goes a long way. It's interesting. And outside low Earth orbit, I think you, your mileage may vary quite a lot, actually. Um, you know, the Van Allen belts are awesomely, yes. uh, are awesomely uh, full of high energy particles. Uh, you want to get through them as quickly as you can. Um, uh, interplanetary space is, is fairly full of high energy particles, particularly from time to time. Um, so I, 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 I would be interested to do the experiment i i would probably be unsurprised if the thing was very i i would i would expect the thing to be very very reliable even under those circumstances uh, probably not to aerospace grade um but um certainly to the greater way you could do something useful and i would actually like to fly rp2040 the the microcontroller platform because that's only a two square millimeter piece of silicon and it has no external memory um and so that feels like a platform which from a cross-section perspective should actually do pretty well coming back to us <laughs> so uh, uh um, it, you know, you mentioned you know one of your one of the things that you're really in, inspired to do is to you know get uh, younger people in more into coding and computing, etc. So, is there like a knowledge base or a website? I mean, obviously there are many many websites which will teach you how to code, and you know many really good websites and videos and everything. But I mean, do your foundation have a like a website which has like a knowledge base or like a step by step of various cool projects that was done by Raspberry Pi? So if you go to raspberrypi.org, the, the the top of the page, I'll do it now. <laughs> top of the page, over on the right hand side, you have a link called Learn, and then there's a link under that called Guided Coding Projects, um, and that 
take you to um, so we have we have a bunch of programs obviously you say it's our Astro Pi we have digital making at home we have a large collection of guided coding projects it's a site projects.raspberrypi.org and you can really pick what you want to do we'll walk you through a project and it's an important part of the offer obviously it's the foundations offer not my offer um, this is this is well the thing I run is Raspberry Pi Trading which is the engineering subsidiary of the foundation um, but um, the uh, the, the foundation does enormously successful work in that kind of informal self-directed space, um, but also a lot of work in the um, uh, in, in the formal teacher training as well. Because, uh, you know, we talked about role models. Yeah. Teachers are role models, right? You Teachers, know, yes. If you have a problem when you're a kid and you're learning to program and you've got a problem, um, what it, who do you turn to? There has to be somebody you can turn to. And, of course, I was lucky because, you know, I had family friends who I could turn to. Uh, but it was still the case that teachers were a very important part of that. And so making sure that teachers are properly trained to support the young people who they are responsible for is a very important part of the foundation's mission. Uh, but so the self-directed stuff is where we come from. And therefore, you'll see that when you go on the website, you'll see there's a lot of focus on that. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, intentionally, I mean, uh, uh, the, the point of this was to basically, you know, highlight to our listeners and viewers, um, audience, uh, yeah, if, if you guys are interested in any, any kind of Raspberry Pi projects, definitely head head over to the website uh, Evan just mentioned and uh, yeah there are many projects many self self learning space to uh, follow and uh, sort of you know do some of the cool projects and um, yeah get uh, get get your hands into Raspberry Pi. And uh, I mean, uh, coming back to role models again, I mean, teachers, I mean, I was, I was looking at the foundation website yesterday itself. And I, I mean, the whole idea we both started this tech podcast was to educate people. I mean, people who are not aware of technology, not aware of Raspberry Pi, maybe there's some, there are, there might be some people who are not aware of Raspberry Pi, just talk about it, give them that exposure and then they can pick it up. Um, and uh, so, so we, we are trying to do our bit through the podcast, but suppose, uh, as an outsider from a public, I want to contribute to the foundation. How can I do that if I'm not a teacher? Because I, I saw that, okay, you have to be a teacher and then I can get some courses done and then I can go through the things. But as a general uh, public, how do I contribute to the foundation? Um, I guess a couple of ways. Obviously, um, people can contribute financially, should mention that. Yes. <laughs> you can donate to it. Um, but I mean, uh, kind of from a practical perspective, people can um, volunteer to run clubs, uh, either code clubs or code dojos. Um, yeah, so there's a, there's a, a wide range of volunteering opportunities um i always say actually people should consider volunteering in the sense of just helping kids who they know yes that's not formal volunteering but you know i owe so much to adults who took an interest in my interest in computing when i was a child so people should do that um we do have courses obviously the projects are available um to people you can do them yourself and learn and be a, thereby be a better mentor to the young people around you um we here we do have courses which are available online um uh, uh, um, courses which are available to people who aren't um, accredited teachers and you can do those and become a better mentor just know more more stuff yourself um, so there are a lot of ways of, there are a lot of ways of con contributing I think that aren't you know, we engage with formal education a lot because in the UK because it's a way of um, ensuring that every child gets a level playing field gets the same level of uh, of teaching the same base level of teaching uh, but all of the informal stuff like I say informal is where we become 
come from. That's our original concept. Um, and it's really important. And of course, it's incredibly important outside the UK in that we aren't scaled to engage with the German education system, the, the Australian education system, the Kenyan education system. You know, we're not we're not scaled to, to, to do that engagement. So to the extent that we make an impact outside the UK, it's either through these informal channels or it's through partnership. And that's a very important part of what we do uh, or both. So, for example, Code Club, a lot of international franchisees who run their own code clubs. So it's called social franchising. It kind of brings the franchising model to the not-for-profit space. Okay. And then, I mean, I mean, I, I come from India. I, I grew up in India. And I always feel that teaching is quite important, especially to a younger generation, because they can actually change the uh, planet in a much more meaningful way than maybe teaching adults <laughs> things that they don't want to understand. Um, um, so uh, teaching is, again, um, yes, it's, it's a good... It, it's a good way to uh, educate the children. But then what's uh, the foundation's role in countries outside the UK or Europe, especially say in Africa, Asia and Americas? Uh, do you think Raspberry Pi has uh, made that big an impact in those countries um, as much as you would like to? Um, I, I think there's um, a there are a solid core of um, uh, developed world economies where Raspberry Pi really has, you know, if you measure it by on a per capita basis, uh, you know, places like Germany, um, Raspberry Pi is every bit as popular as it is in, in the UK as a hobbyist platform and also people doing our, our resources um, we have a, a big translation effort we have a big community so we have on the um, commercial side we translate some of our collateral uh, we license some of our magazine brands internationally um, on the fact um, we, we have a community driven translation effort that's translated our work into into very 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 large number of, of languages so we do our best um, I think there are enormous opportunities if you look at like where do we employ people outside? Where does the foundation employ people outside the UK? Uh, Republic of Ireland, because that's actually where Coded Dojo came from. So we have a, an office there that we got when we merged um, with, with Coded Dojo. We have a small number of people in North America. We have Raspberry Foundation in North America. Challenge in North America is always, you know, it's a big place, big place, complicated place. From an educational perspective, it's actually 50 different countries. Um, you know, it's not a fully integrated. The idea of the United States as a single country is not quite the right abstraction. Um, uh, so, so it's kind of, you know, you need to be big in order to, to have scaled impact. Um, uh, and that's always a challenge. Um, but you had some great success there, run some great programs in, in North America and looking to grow that in the future. And in India as well, we have some people. Uh, right. People. I mean, this, this is, uh, sorry, this this is very interesting because I'm actually, um, I'm from Bangladesh and I know for a fact that uh, there are a lot of young people who are looking to, you know, upskill themselves by learning computing, uh, but there isn't enough opportunity or there isn't enough availability of, of information. And, and um, so this is one where now I do not know whether we have a um, I do not know whether we have a um, a, fra a code club franchise in Bangladesh or not. There isn't actually. I mean, I've looked into it, and uh, there, even the Raspberry Pi is not available. I mean, obviously, the one of the main uh, uh, objective is to make it accessible through through being cheap. And uh, you know, if you want to get Raspberry Pi in Bangladesh, you would have to pay like a really high price, same as like probably a laptop. Top. And that is obviously very restrictive. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just. Um, um, I don't. You're right. We don't have a. Uh, I. We do not have a. I'm interested. I'm, I'm a little bit. So I have to say, I'm a little bit surprised that we do not have a. Um, neither do we have one in Pakistan either. Actually, we do in India. Um, but we, but we do not. But in 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 the area with that, that's the only. I mean, only. <laughs> 
<laughs> Quite, yeah. Is there anything I can do to sort of bring Raspberry Pi in, in Bangladesh? Well, I, I think, I, I mean, I think that the there are sort of two aspects, right? There's the charitable aspect and the commercial aspect, um, where the commercial aspect has has mission impact. So the commercial aspect isn't just about making money, because we don't really make very much money. Raspberry Pi. Um, it, it, it's about the, the the impact that the devices have. So, so I think that you know, in all of these places, the the goal is to find entrepreneurial young people who are interested. You know, why is Raspberry Pi successful in the UK? Insignificant part because of guys like Jamie Mann, who runs the Pi Hut out of Haverhill, um, uh, John Williamson and Paul Beach, who run uh, Pimeroni out of Sheffield. Um, young people who are entrepreneurial and have built businesses around Raspberry Pi. Um, so when we talk about succeeding in, you know, we've just they had our first hire in uh, Africa start um, based out of Lagos. Um, and what's his mission? His mission is to go and find Nigerian Jamie. His mission is to go find Kenyan Jamie. Um, you know, what we need is Bangladeshi Jamie. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's that's the that's the mission, right? Um, to 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 go find people like that. So so I don't know. I think I think what can you do to be helpful is to if you, you know people in Bangladesh uh, who are young and are interested in doing business, mm. make them aware that there is an opportunity. Make them aware that there is a thing they can sell. Um, in, in the context, in that kind of context, I really see it as being a an entry level computer, an entry level PC. In particular, it's a thing that turns your television into a computer. So you plug it into your. T- if you already own a television, but you mm. don't have a computer the cheapest way to get a computer is to plug a raspberry pi into your television oh um, right okay i mean and that's, that's the pitch. that's the, that that was that was the pitch for me for my bbc micro in the 1980s in the uk mm. the pitch was it turns your television into, into a computer in africa today it turns your television into a computer bangladesh today it turns your television into a computer lots of people have televisions you end up with society many people have televisions and many people have mobile phones nobody <laughs> 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 has a computer <laughs> um, yes because the raspberry pi is the thing that can talk to your it can talk to your television television for, uh, for, for display output, and it can talk to your mobile access, and it can give you an internet-connected PC. Uh, that's got to be a business opportunity for somebody. And guys, the success of guys like Jamie and Paul and John here in the UK shows that that can be. So that's why I would say, find your most entrepreneurial friend in Bangladesh and give him my phone number. This is, this is actually very interesting right now, because I'm, I'm going to Bangladesh just within a, within a few weeks for, you know, and I'm going to stay there for some time. And there is no reason that entrepreneur person can't be me. Um, That's it. Well, you'd be, be our license in Bangladesh. Take, take a Raspberry Pi 4 with you. Uh, uh, Share it to some people. If people want to buy them, I mean, we've always said in these markets, um, we will, and this is currently something we are very live for us at the moment in, in Africa, in, in, in uh, um, uh, Nigeria and Kenya, um, is if there are people in a market that we don't serve who want to try and make it work, we'll move heaven and earth to get units. But uh, how, how would it work? Sorry, I think we're moving away. Yeah, 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 yeah seriously. I mean, this is now a business. This is now, is this a, is it a podcast or are we? Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a podcast because, uh, I mean, it, it affects a lot of people and uh, people, uh, uh, I mean, we have noticed that people in Africa are listening to a podcast. So it, it just happy, gives I'm idea. Let's talk about this because this is what people don't understand. It's like we need, I believe these markets need raspberry pie. Yes. Um, yes. We need um, the right people in in these markets as much as these markets need Raspberry Pi. Um, Absolutely. And I mean, I know so many people. I mean, it, it, it's a very densely populated country. And, um, you know, uh, one of the things you would, you would, I don't know if you would agree, but I think uh, intelligence in this is distributed evenly. That's why they're, you know, and... That's it, right? Think of all the Mozarts who died before there were musical instruments for Mozart to play. Think of exactly. all the... 
Think of all of the Bill Gateses who died before there were programmable computers, right? And there are 20 million people in Bangladesh, and they're, they're, they're bound to be Einsteins that are not getting the, the tools and equipments that they need. We talk about, we talk about access to tools. There's a, a thing called the, the Whole Earth Catalog, which was a rather hippie. The you know, Whole Earth Catalog, it's worth, if you're not aware of it, it's worth a Google. So this thing was like, a, think of like, uh, like the internet before the internet. So it's like a book that has, right. you want to buy a water filtration kit so you would you big Californian hippie can go live in the hills and not get poisoned by the water uh, or a geodesic down or instructions for how to build a geodesic dome or how to cure leather uh, oh, right. uh, so this is a big big kind of like catalog of 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 people who will sell you uh, people who will sell you um, instructions or equipment to go be self-sufficient really it's a very kind of 1960s American hippie thing um, and one of their kind of mottos was access to tools that's what yeah, we do yeah. we make access to tools we give people access to tools. There are people out there who do not have tools, and we I give can, tools. Yeah, I can, I can imagine it would make such a big difference to the to the younger generation if they if they had something you know as cheap as Raspberry Pi because it would it would actually I mean I, if I convert thirty dollars uh, in, into Bangladeshi Bangladeshi currency that is actually accessible to many people even lower middle class people and there are many many talented uh, youngsters out there who are just looking for an opportunity like that. I'm actually very excited now. The product for this market is the, well, okay, there's an argument that the product for this market is the Raspberry Pi 400, so the Raspberry Pi inside the keyboard, because it's kind of a finished product. Um, but that is a $70 product. Um, there's, I think, a strong argument that really the the, the, the platform for this market is the, the two gigabyte um, Raspberry Pi 4. It's a, it's a $35 product. It has everything you need apart from the, the obviously display mouse, keyboard, power supply. So you have some accessories around it, but it's probably less than $10 worth of accessories around it. To make yeah, it. yeah. Um, and then that's for someone who already owns a television and wants to give their child a, a an educational platform. I, I I think you know it's why we're so obsessed with thirty five dollars. Like it is affordable for huge numbers of people in it, all uh, around the world. So how, how would I go about? Because I am literally going there end of this month. Um, how how would I proceed? Well, um, so anyone in any of these markets, you can always get in touch with me. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, people always get in touch with me. You happen to have my email address, but I am you know, what are we looking for? We're looking for people who want to um, set up some local um, e-commerce and fulfillment capability. So fundamentally, what does somebody need to do in order to be a useful uh, approved reseller is the front. Mm -hmm. yeah. These are the people who, so I just went, while we were talking, I just went to our website and I, I selected one of my products and I and you can pick a country. And I said, I mean, oh no, Bangladesh isn't on the list, right? Um, so um, to be an, so an approved reseller is the person where, is the person who services a purchase request that comes via our website in a particular country, right? So what does an approved reseller need to be able to do? Well, they need to be able to take orders and collect money. Mm -hmm. uh, they need some e-commerce capability. They need some fulfillment capability. So they need to, they need to be able to do outbound and inbound logistics. So they need to be able to send packages to end customers in response to some commerce transaction. They also need to manage inbound logistics. That that so that's getting units from Raspberry Pi. That um, is a very variable difficulty depending on what country you're in. Some countries okay. make it easy. Some countries make it hard. Um, the, and so so if someone has though, if someone is in a market, I need to adhere to the pricing structure, right? So you know, so there's always a discussion about pricing, which is it's important it costs 
just the right amount of money. Um, and the right amount of money is basically $35 plus tax, plus reasonable shipping, plus import duty. So it's kind of, if, if someone's charging 20% import duty and 20% VAT, the thing isn't going to be anywhere. In the UK, it's $42, right? Because we have 20% VAT. Right. Um, uh, so so people have to be able to meet the meet, so people are um, so that's kind of what you're looking for in a in a in an approved reseller. Often these organisations it's easier to prove that you can do a thing if you're already doing it. Um, so often these are these these tend to be organisations that already exist. Often they are organisations that are already selling Raspberry Pi, but just not as approved resellers. It's very easy to convert an unapproved Raspberry yeah. Pi reseller to an approved one. Um, right. Yeah. So so and, and we've had a lot of success in um, European markets. Um, Europe, Europe in North America, Japan, India, um, uh, less success in, had a little success in South America. A little bit, could be a little bit difficult sometimes to do business. Uh, some of the barriers, particularly Brazil, barriers are very, very high. I uh, right. don't know what the barriers would be like in Bangladesh. Maybe they're high, maybe they're low. Who can tell? Um, um, yeah, to be honest, I've, I'm, I've got... Um um, enough network to make it make it quite uh, quite easy to <laughs> to do or do business in Bangladesh. So it's inbound, it's in, inbound logistics. It's inbound logistics and in-country logistics are obviously the kind of make or break in terms of whether this sort of thing is a, is a, is, a, is a proposition. But we're always interested to, you know, particularly people who are already trading. Um, we're always interested to talk to people who are interested in getting involved with Raspberry Pi. And the commercial powers Raspberry Pi. It's powered by commerce and commerce. It's powered by people's self-interest, powered by people's desire to build businesses and want to have better lives for themselves and their families. And that's a good thing. You know, we are big believers in capitalism, big believers in markets, um, yes. and, and big believers in the power of entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial endeavor. You know, all those guys, the three guys I mentioned, John, Paul, Jamie, um, they're all, um, they're, they're, they're business people. Uh, and, and that's one of the things that makes them exciting people to hang out with. My question is legacy of Raspberry Pi. I mean, we have Windows, PC, we talked about Bill Gates. So how do you think, where do you see yourself 20 years in the future? How do you, I mean, what do you think would be the legacy? I will will tell you what my hope for legacy with Raspberry Pi is. If if one of the good things with Raspberry Pi is I've got to meet the people who, most of the people, a little bit like Bill Gates, actually, people, the people who worked on the BBC Micro are very young when they did it. Um, And so they're still in the middle of their careers. They're still, this was a long time, this 40 years ago. But on the other hand, human beings live for a long time. And um, these are people who did this stuff when they were 20. And so they're still in the middle of their careers, really. You know, they're people who've probably got another 10 or 20 years of of working life ahead of them. Um, The, uh, I look back very fondly on my BBC Micro and I look very gratefully on the people whose work gave me that experience. Um, so what I hope the legacy of Raspberry Pi is, if one person, we sold 40 million Raspberry Pi so far, if one person looks back on the Raspberry Pi the way I look back on the BBC Micro, that will be a good legacy. And I will sit on the beach with my beer and I will think <laughs> I think good thoughts about that person uh, in, 20, in 20 years' time. Clearly, I, I very much hope in 20 years' time I'm still working on, on um, Raspberry Pi. Think of another role model um uh, Thomas Edison um, said, you know, that when he was old, that he he pitied people who didn't have labs to go to. You know, I, I will, I, I I pity people who don't have an environment like this to come to every day. Um, I can't imagine myself. Back to the point about Bill Gates giving up control of Microsoft. I can't imagine myself ever wanting to not be here because it's an amazing place that does amazing things. That's full of amazing people who I really like. Um, and so I, I I I hope I'm still doing. I hope my legacy in 20 years time is I'm still at Raspberry Pi, and I. Hope 
hope that for somebody else it's been a gateway to an interesting awesome awesome this has this has been a really really good conversation a lot of information we got from you Evan and uh, yeah a lot of lot of things to research for mm-hmm. our listeners and viewers as well as me I will uh, check out the websites you mentioned as well uh, they sound very interesting um, yeah um, any any last message you want to convey to our uh, audience um, only the usual one which is come to raspberrypi.org see what we do thank you absolutely absolutely that's amazing simple and direct thank you very much Evan um, Amit is there anything else you want to uh, you want to mention thank you just no? uh, just right. want to thank you so much Evan for taking your time and coming on our show and uh, giving such valuable insight um, I'm pretty sure uh, our viewers and listeners will take away something and uh, yeah I mean, people in Africa and America I just hope that they get access to a Pi and they can get onto the computing bandwagon and just improve their lives thank you very much guys thank you for listening and uh, talk to you later